Hey guys, good morning. How are you? Good morning. All right, good morning to that wing. Hey, how you doing? Uh, about five years ago, I'd say, um, I was starting postgraduate work over at Trinity. And um, it was before classes started. It was still part of that whole initial process. And um, I had a chance to have this, this lunch meeting with one of the, um, the, um, the people that was going to be processing me through, one of the admissions counselors. And it was kind of this cool shift that was happening at lunch because I was looking to start doing academic work at Trinity. She was actually moving from that sphere into going into the MDiv program to pursue becoming a pastor. And so there was this cool kind of cross-pollination of, of conversations we were having, me asking, like, okay, so like, what kind of classes do I have to take? And she likewise talking to me about things like, so give me this straight up. I mean, what's it, what's it really like in the church today? I mean, what are you saying? What are you facing? What do you, what do you see the struggles? And she asked me this question. She, um, she said, you know, just basically, what do you see as the biggest problem in the church today. I kind of sat there, I thought about it for a minute, and um, I could tell by the nature of the conversation that what she was expecting was for me to name some kind of like sin issue. You know what I mean? She was expecting something like, you know, maybe, you know, oh yeah, the biggest problem in the church today is, is apathy, or, or it's this, this, this utter security and prosperity that we've come to enjoy as, as 21st century Americans that's lulled us into a, a certain sense of, of, of lackadaisicalness. Or maybe she was expecting something like s some specific sin, like the temptation that is just so rampant out there today, or shifting cultural values. And, and I was thinking about it, and it struck me. I don't think it's a sin issue at all. When I think about the biggest problem in the church today, I actually think about something different. It's not a sin issue at all as far as I see it. It's something that transcends it. It's how we deal with sin. And so the answer I gave her that day was this. What do I see as the biggest problem in the church today? Here's how I phrased it. It's what I call the rich young ruler syndrome. Okay? Rich young ruler syndrome. Here's what I mean. I want to show you a passage. It comes out of Mark 10. You'll find it in other Gospels as well. One little phrase that to me is so poignant. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad. What's going on? Jesus is going throughout Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and Galilee and people are flocking to him. They're coming to Jesus, and they're finding this man that's filled with compassion. This man who, who goes to the outcasts and the broken and the discarded. They're finding this man who goes to those who others judge, quote, sinner. And he's accepting them and looking them in the eye and treating them as an equal and spending time with them, and associating himself with them, and, and forging like true, real-life relationships and friendships with them. And people are flocking to him. In the midst of this, there's this, this young man, this rich young man, or as Matthew and Luke will put it, this rich young ruler. 
And he comes to Jesus and, and, and he says, good teacher, I see that you're good. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, it's perplexed me to this day, but Jesus comes back and goes, why do you call me good? To which I go, why wouldn't I call you good? He goes, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. What do you have to do? You, you know what the commandments say. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not, do not steal. Um, honor your father and your mother. And, and, and the guy comes back and goes, wait, I, I've been doing these. I've been doing all of these since I was a boy. And Jesus looks at him. And he looks at him and goes, oh, okay, I'm seeing it here now. I'm seeing it here. There's one thing you lack. This is what Jesus said. There's one thing you lack. Sell it. Sell it all. Sell everything you have. Give it all away to the poor and come follow me. Now, have you ever wanted God to talk to you? You You ever wish he hadn't? Sell all you have, give it all away, and come follow me. And that's the next line right there. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. And then Jesus says something to the effect of how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is pretty tough, pretty tough. And everyone makes this passage about money. They make it about money and prosperity and wealth and possessions as though somehow that might be the real issue, particularly in American context, where we have so much wealth and prosperity as a nation today. I don't think that's what it's really about. What I think it's about is sin. That all of us have the propensity and the reality of sin in our lives. But see, it's not really even about sin. It's about how we respond to it. Because what Jesus did there with that rich young man was not lay, in my opinion, some blanket statement that what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that each and every one of us here have to sell everything we have, give it all away, and come follow him. Now, he might call you to do it, and I'm not letting you off the hook too easy. But that's not what the passage is about. It's about Jesus pushing it to the max. It's about him pushing the envelope with every human being going, every single one of you have got that issue. That deep, dark spot that you're holding on to, that thing that you're not going to let go of. And when it comes to light, what's going to be your response? See, for the rich young man, the response was this. His face fell. His face fell. And he walked away from Jesus. And I got to tell you, that's what I actually see is the biggest issue in the American church today. We don't know how to deal with our sin and with our shame. And I have seen the same thing happen to so many people that I can't even 
count it. Let me give you some examples of how this plays out. The family who put themselves forward as the happy couple, the Christian couple, the God-honoring couple, who talked it and preached it, and even rebuked other people when they thought that they were lapsing. And then there's a shift. And they find themselves in the midst of an ugly, bitter divorce. And they go from this place to where their sins in their relationship have been revealed. It's coming out and there's no hiding it anymore. And they're ashamed. So what do they do? Their faces fall and they walk away. They walk away from their community, their friends, the people in the church that are supposed to be walking with them. They walk away from Christianity. They walk away from God. They walk away with their faces fallen, not knowing how to deal with their own personal shame. You know what I mean? it's, it's, It's these kinds of things. This happens. Someone will come to me They'll come to me with with some kind of sin issue, you know, something that has been eating them up, something that they have regret over, they feel guilty about, we'll meet in my office, they've worked up the courage, they let it out, and there is like this catharsis, it's just like, oh, You, you ever have that moment where you finally get it in the open, you finally get it off your chest, and it feels great, and you walk away feeling really good, but then like three hours goes by, and you're like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And they never come back. They never come back. Because now it's in the open. In the open, mind you, doesn't mean like we're publishing it. In the open means they told me. And I'm Vegas, baby. You know, it's, that's here, stays here. I mean, it... This ain't going anywhere. But they won't look me in the eye. They're afraid of me because they think that I'm going to judge them. Because now when they see me, they know that I know their shame. And they don't know how to deal with it. And their faces fall and they walk away sad. Never to be seen. Again, there's people that I've had the, and I will say this, the honor to see at their worst. To see at their worst when mental illness has racked them and they're at a broken place, when addiction has racked them and they're at this broken place, when the sins of their life have wreaked such havoc that they're at rock bottom and they're afraid to see me again. Have you had people in your life like this? Guys, I gotta tell you, as Christians, I don't think we have the first clue of how to deal with shame. For me, the bigger issue is not sin. The issue is do we know how to deal with it? And so we run, we hide. Sometimes we hide within the pack. We hide and we suffer silently because we simply don't know what it looks like or what it means to deal with and process our shame. And what I found is it leaves us, leaves so many people in this transient, broken place, 
silently suffering and silently bearing their guilt when all the while God has offered this amazing, this amazing technique, this path, this mechanism to restoration and freedom. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because all of us have it. I, 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 I would put money on it. All of us have shame. And a lot of us don't have the first clue of what to do about it or how to move it beyond the theoretical into processing it in daily practice. Now, I want to teach you a, uh, a math equation, a biblical math equation here today. Here it is, okay? Repentance plus forgiveness equals restoration. Let me tell you how a lot of people deal with their shame. A lot of people that I've met deal with their shame in this kind of way. They carry it. Then they carry it longer. They try to deal with it internally and it doesn't work and so they carry it longer and they finally come to a place of being fed up with their shame. And so what they do is this. They take the opposite approach and say, you know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care who knows. I don't care who knows. I don't even feel guilty about it anymore. I don't care. You want to judge me? Mm, you know, the right hook is coming right back. They take this approach of getting so burdened by dealing with shame that the only way to process it is by denying the things that have caused the shame to begin with. By saying the things that have generated shame in me, I'm not even going to say that they're shameful anymore. A certain brazenness, if you will. A certain way of saying, loud and proud, baby. That's my sin, and I love it. I get where they're coming from. I get where they're coming from. There is this, this, this cathartic release that comes, that comes from saying, I'm not going to be shackled by something anymore. I get it completely, but here's the issue. It's not God's way. And it's not God's way because at the end of the day, it just doesn't work. Here's what I mean. Sin is a lot like cancer. Can you go with me on this? I want you to think about sin like cancer here today. Now, if you get cancer, sticking your head in the sand and hoping that it will go away is probably not going to deal with it effectively. Would you agree? Likewise, claiming your cancer and saying, that's my cancer, baby, loud and proud, let it rage, isn't going to solve much either. Because sin, like cancer, spreads. It infects. It isn't content to be left in a status quo where it is and left unchecked, no matter what attitude you take, is going to eventually consume you in the end. And God knows it. And this is why God calls us to deal with it. The answer to shame is not denying 
that it exists. It's not saying that whatever I've done is okay. It's not justifying that which has created these feelings in me that I just can't seem to shake away. And God's solution to this is something called repentance. Now, people mess this up. They mess this up so bad. Repentance does not mean feeling sorry. That could be part of it. And you probably do if you come to the place I'm going to share with you today. But repentance means turning towards God's way. It's looking at that thing and going, yeah, God, you're right. That is destroying me. I'm going to turn to your way, whether you feel bad about it or not. Repentance plus forgiveness equals restoration. God calls us to deal with our shame. He calls us to name it. He calls us to confront it. He calls us to undergo a process of dealing with it because God knows that in the end, it's the only way. So what I'd like to do is, is, is share a couple of things in, in relation to that. I'd like to share with you a mechanism, a technique, if you will, that you'll find kind of lacing the scriptures about how God calls us to start releasing our shame. I'm going to skip this for now and come to this. It starts here. Bring it in the open. I want to read you this passage from Jesus. He says this, uh, and it's, it's really cool. And just let these words stick. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Jesus is the light of the world, and he calls us to walk in that light. And what that often means is beginning in a place of letting the light reveal who we truly are. He goes on and he writes this. He says this. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. What has God done? He's forgiven you your shame. What has God done? He's released you from your shame. And whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly. There are those of you here who have been carrying shame. Remember this one woman who came and talked to me. Carrying a dark secret for over 15 years. And it was consuming her worse than cancer ever could. 15 years of her life shrouded and gnawed at by shame. It affected her health. It affected her relationships. It affected her joy. 
and she came to this place where she came into the light. And it was nothing short of transformational. To know that with God, you don't have to hide in the darkness. And to know that with God's people, you don't have to either. Because repentance plus forgiveness equals restoration. And for many of you, finding release from your shame is going to have to begin by naming it. By naming it publicly. That's not you got to get a billboard or anything, you know? But finding that person you trust and saying, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I'm dealing with. This is my shame. And Jesus has called me to bring it into light. Guys, it's got to start there. And I encourage you to take that step today. But I want to share with you something else as well. Because sometimes people just don't want to deal with their shame, right? They just don't want to deal with it. And Jesus says, I love that person. I love that person, and they mean the world to me, and I don't want to see him suffer in this anymore. So here's a way of helping them deal with their shame. It's often called Matthew 18. Let me show you how it begins. It starts with a one-to-one. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, you and 25 of your friends, right? Just between the two of you. And I love the last line, if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. I know so many people that are afraid of their shame because they think that once it comes into the open, forevermore the stigma will follow them, right? Forevermore the scarlet A will be worn on their shirt. Forevermore they will be known as the person who did this, the woman who did that, the guy who... No, 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 no. If he listens, the brother, and you've won him over. You've won him over, restored as a brother again. Because God's way is not to, to avoid shame. It's to go through the middle of it. Knowing that when we do, there is freedom from it on the other side. It goes on. It says, but if he will not listen, take one or two others along. Take one or two others along so it's not just he said, she said. So it's us going, we're seeing a problem here. We're seeing something here that's destroying you and we care about you and we love you. And it says, if that still doesn't happen, bring it in to the open. Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It kind of begs the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to treat someone as a pagan or a tax collector? 
Well, I'm just going to take a stab that, that Jesus is supposed to be the model for this. And we should probably look at how he treated pagans and tax collectors to figure out what it means for me. And I think about how Jesus goes to this one tax collector named Matthew. He says, come follow me. And he makes him one of his 12 closest disciples. I think about how Jesus goes to these pagans. And he says things like, do you see the centurion here? I haven't seen such great faith as in all Israel as I see right here. Do you see the Syrophoenician woman right here? When all of you, she is coming to me. He loved him. He opened his arms to him. He reached out to him. He treated them as people without stigma when everyone else did. As people who didn't get it, but had something he wanted. And he reached out to them and loved them as his own. What it means is that for us as believers, there is absolutely zero place for rubbing someone's nose in their shame. Because repentance plus forgiveness equals restoration. A renewed relationship where that is who you are, that is what you deal with. But Jesus has died for you like Jesus has died for me. No more shame. I love what Paul writes. Isn't that great? Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Guys, the world needs people. Your family needs people. The people in, in, in your life, in your sphere. The world needs people who can say that right there. The world does not need perfect people. And your friends and family do not need you to be perfect. You just can't process it, right? I mean, it's, it's unattainable. It's defeating. What the world needs is people who are willing to stand up and say, I get shame because I have it too. But Jesus died for me. And Jesus died for you. And that means you can hold yourself high. You can hold your head high as one who has been freed from shame. It's, it's the person I, I know who said, yeah, I had an affair. I had an affair. And I need to admit it. But Jesus died for me. And now I'm learning what it means to follow him again. The world needs to meet people like that. It's the guy who's coming here in a few weeks who's going to go, I'm gay. I'm gay and I'm tempted and I'm struggled with same-sex attraction, but Jesus died for me. 
and I'm learning what it means to follow him. The world needs people like that. It's, it's the guy I know who's like, I get what you're feeling. I'm there too. And here it is, and I'm afraid, who knows, because Jesus died for me. This odd paradox of humbleness with head held high. Because in Jesus, there's no more shame. And he offers the same to you. The issue is not sin. It's how we deal with it. And whether we'll choose to be people who hide in the dark, never experiencing the fullness of what God offers, or being people that see his, his command truly as a command to bring it into the light and to hold each other accountable and to offer the forgiveness and restoration that so freely flows from him. The world does not need us to be perfect people. It needs to see what it's like to be a people who have discovered something in their shame that means they don't have to hide from it anymore. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for you today. And, and, and guys, what I would just want to do is I want to pray. Um, and I want to pray for you. Ten bucks says there's gobs of shame in this room right now. And it doesn't have to be that way. Let's learn what it means to deal with it like a Jesus community. His way. So pray with me. Lord, you've come into the world. And where you are, there is light. And by default, God, your light is going to reveal the things that we would rather keep hidden in darkness. And the closer we come to you, the more the light is going to shine in the dark crevices of our souls. May we not fear it, God. Or if we fear it, may we have the courage to come into your light anyways. Um, God, we're afraid. I mean, but let us see your eyes looking deep within our soul and knowing that all things are revealed. Let's sing your kindness, your compassion, your acceptance, your love. May we learn as, as your followers what it means to treat each other in the exact same way. Speak through our shame, God, to the people who are broken of this world. 
people who are suffering and hiding in silence. Speak through our shame so that they can see that you, Christ Jesus, have died to save sinners. And that means everything. 